Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. One size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's, a, it's a T-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. Today's product, Almond Cow, is one of our favorites. And I'm going to let my husband, Mark Hyman, otherwise known as the Moo Man, tell you why he loves it so much. Why do I love it so much? How could I not love it? This product is the best. In fact, I came to California for five months, and it's the one appliance that I made sure that we took with us. I'm a quarter mile from a Trader Joe's. Do I ever go there for milk? No, because I have my almond cow. We make it almost every day, and then we get the yummy leftovers that also don't go to waste because we make cookies, we make cereal, we can make anything with it. Get yourself an almond cow today. Mmm, I agree. Plant-based milk at its best. Go to the link in the bio and use code Laura to save. I'm Laura Hyman, and welcome to Redefining Movement, a lit podcast designed to investigate all aspects of movement from my background in physical therapy and neuroscience. My mission is to help everyone find freedom through smarter movement patterns and compassion for ourselves and others. So together we can live our most uplifted lives, benefiting all beings. Welcome to Wednesday Q&A, where you all ask the questions and we answer. I am joined by my fearless, amazing, courageous, gorgeous co-host, Kristen Williams. Hey, Laura. Hey, everybody. I love it. Let's get started. Yeah. All right. So good questions, as always. We love the differing questions that you all send her away. So first one is from a woman. She did not say her name. It's just ER973. Would you please provide me some tips on posture? I am a kindergarten teacher. I move around a lot during the day, but I seem to have pain in my low back at the end of each day. Not sure what I'm doing, but I have a feeling it has to do with my posture. Please help. Well, I mean, I can imagine being a kindergarten teacher, she's doing a lot of bending over. That's the thing. You're bending over, working with little ones. Working on bending at the knees could be one thing. You know, really looking at how you're bending. How are you transitioning onto the floor? How are you sitting on the floor? Everyone knows Laura loves to sit on the floor. It's really supportive. But when you look at Laura sitting on the floor, you wouldn't know. She almost looks like she's in chair because she's still upright. So I think that you have to really examine with a non-judgmental eye, how are you doing things throughout the day? Because honestly, I bet my back would hurt if I went right into a kindergarten classroom, never done it before, spent an entire day there. 
all that bending over, I'm confident that you're helping young children at their desks or on the floor, but maybe not utilizing your larger leg muscles, your glutes, your hamstrings, flexing at the hips, bending at the knees versus taking the easier way. And I say easier, meaning it's kind of our path of least resistance is bending over the spine. Our spine is so mobile that our first inclination is to do just that, is just to bend over and help somebody versus getting down or maybe getting down on the floor before you help them. And that's something that is habitual. Sometimes we don't realize what we're doing. So if you could video yourself just for the heck of it all day in the classroom and just see what am I really doing? How much time am I up? How much time am I down? How am I standing? How am I sitting? You might be surprised and it really might become clear as to why your back hurts. The back muscles are very small. They braid up the back. They just aren't meant to be holding the weight of the trunk for prolonged periods. The spine really is supposed to be stacked with gravity going straight through it. So we're much better served bending through the lower extremity joints, these big movers, and keeping that spine more erect. That doesn't mean you have to stay erect in the spine all day, but just look at the balance. That's our theme in Lit this month, find balance. And it's looking in front body to back body joints. Are you balancing it out? Are you flexing at the spine, but then also flexing at the hips? Find some time throughout your day to do some extension. I mean, I'll do that. Just stand there, bring your hands to your low back and lean back over the hands. Just a little counter movement to where you might find yourself throughout the day over and over again. What else do you have to add to that, Laura? Yeah. I mean, I'm picturing my kindergarten class, which I know was a long time ago, but we have literally some photos of that. And I remember it was in this large room and the low, long tables, tiny little chairs. The toilets are really tiny. And there was a carpet on the floor, but I'm sure it was like cement underneath base. So a couple of things I would just add to it is, first of all, even if you aren't getting on the floor per se, you're dealing with little, low tables. When we work in clinical settings, like in rehab or something, there are these low plinths. So it's easy for the client to get from a wheelchair there. And as a PT, I would roll a stool over that was low and that would get me more at that level where I wasn't bending over and being more likely for that kind of rounded back thing. And I know you're probably leaning over and working with kids, but can you either do like a half kneel, like you're in a lunge, like you're doing a 90-90 lunge while you're working now, you also have to probably wear professional clothes, unlike what we do. But I would say set up your entire environment, including the way you dress, as best as you can while you're staying professional. Because I remember my kindergarten teacher wore skirts every day, like Miss Thompson. She was like in her late 60s. And it's hard to hinge well and stagger your legs if you're in a skirt. And so can you set up every part of your environment to support your biomechanics and think about this is a physical job. You're working with little people who have a lot of energy. You're probably doing things in circle, like circle time. Can you make some of that physical for both them and you? When my son was in kindergarten, I went to his class regularly and we did yoga. And his kindergarten teacher was very active with them outside and then inside, and they would play all kinds of games and he was involved. So I think that if you can 
both set yourself up and the fact that you're an adult, whether it's getting in a low lunge or a low stool or something like that, where you can set yourself up and then also being active with the kids. And I do think wearing good shoes and like an outfit that allows that as best as you can would really be helpful. And that was the other thing is if you're on a surface that is taxing like concrete, it's hard when you're standing or leaning over and there might not be anything you can do about that, but just trying to keep moving, walking, of course, is great. So if you can even take your kids out for walks when they're on the playground, if you can just keep moving instead of being still and just watching them in some way. That's great, Laura. All right. Our second question here is from one of our teachers who we love and adore, Inga, Natural Flow Yoga. Hi, KB. Hi, Laura. So good that your podcast is back and it looks so fresh. She sent this in a little while ago. Last week, one of my students asked me, what do I think about face yoga? And I was not sure. I said that I think we do it instinctively when creaming the face or grimace, but sure there is more to it. Do you have an opinion or advice on that topic? Right now, there isn't a lot of research on face yoga, but there's a lot of anecdotal evidence, which I personally, I subscribe to both because we learn ultimately from other people and then we just add on the research. So if we just look at why face yoga might be important, we need to both perhaps tone certain muscles in the face and then relax other muscles. It's similar to postural muscles. And if you think of how your whole body is connected, we have the head, we have the shoulder girdle, the pelvic girdle, the spine, and then we have the upper and lower extremities. There's wrapping, I call it the mummy wrapping of fascia that's everywhere. And so the head is not just an island sitting there. It shares connective tissues across the cervical spine into the shoulder girdle. And then some of that continues in different fascial envelopes all the way down your back into your pelvis and essentially all the way down to your feet. So they can talk about the way you stand can actually influence your jaw, the way that your pelvis is positioned influences your jaw and the muscles around there. So I think face yoga is great. I don't know if I need it per se, or KB needs it. If you're fairly balanced and you kind of know like the fascial stretches to do, but for somebody who isn't maybe in tune or exactly knowing what to do, face yoga could be great because it can be just like how much you can open your mouth ah, and you make these like, and you lift your eye. All of these different tiny muscles in your face have this connective tissue. And if you can think about, again, how we would pull on a shirt and we talk about how that can impact all the way down into the leg. Similarly, if something is being held or pulled in a way that prevents movement of the jaw or full movement of opening your eyes, then that can come into turning your head. It would really make sense that learning relaxation techniques to help some of that or if you need to get some more tone into certain areas as well, because there's usually an imbalance and it can go either way. So I think face yoga is toning up things. I don't know about the claims. Is it going to help wrinkles? I have no idea. But it's certainly in terms of the stress that you can feel in your jaw and in your temples around the cap of your skull into your neck, all of that does contribute to tension headaches and fatigue, you know, et cetera. So I think it's a great practice because it is part of the body and the body system. And when the body's imbalanced, it could be imbalanced 
inside and around the skull as well. I totally agree with you. You know, an interesting topic that I've heard people discussing when it comes to face yoga, we call it facial exercises, however you want to think about it, is also thinking of it in terms of maybe how your food choice changes as we get older. A lot of people are doing quick. So a smoothie, a protein shake, well, that really takes away a lot of the chewing. So thinking about how you're eating, are you just rushing through a meal? Your meal could be your face yoga. A lot of, especially men, men want a bigger jaw. They want to be more cut. And so if they're drinking protein shakes for two of their meals, they're going to lose that facial bulk. If your diet is causing your muscles in the face to atrophy, if the fact that you aren't interacting as much, you aren't talking, all of that, it requires facial muscles, right? But you see, people are on the computer all the time. So we're doing so much more interacting that I think that could also be why this is suddenly becoming a thing. You know, so how can we do face yoga with our regular routine? Slow down while you eat, fully chew your food. Take some more time. Call somebody on the phone versus texting. Laura and I, whenever we meet, we Zoom. I like to interact with her as opposed to just texting or we have Slack channels and instant messaging. It's just like, that is really, I think, making our faces work less. Yeah, face yoga, great, but maybe let's start interacting with people more. Yeah. And if you're like really still and not talking or not chewing fully and all that, it's again, you might be inadvertently just kind of gripping at a low tone, which isn't necessarily strengthening. It's just nervous system tightness. And that can lead to all that TMJ and again, headaches and interact. Interact, laugh. Let your face move, all that stuff. I love that. Yes. And, you know, they talk about the tongue, even though that's not really the facial muscles we're referring to, but the tongue being part of, you know, an organ in the skull, like working the tongue. A lot of people don't realize how weak their tongue might be. So can you press your tongue to the roof of your mouth and make a seal? And can then you hold it there for 20 seconds? That's a way of strengthening the tongue in different directions. Which I think would take strain off of other areas that you might be using. And if you are somebody that really holds a lot of tension, start with the tongue as well, because when the tongue is up there and it's sealed at the top, it's a lot harder to clench your jaw. So you're starting to create that space and the strength in the tongue and taking out of some of the tone in the jaw muscles, the grinder muscles, the masseter, stuff like that. Great question, Inga. This is a question I think we can both answer in different ways. Someone asking about how do you make a dent in the vast fitness slash wellness market? And she doesn't say anything more than that. So I don't know like what, but let's just say generically fitness, wellness. Well, I like to always look at something when we think of something being big market. Isn't that amazing? <laughs> because wellness and fitness is so important. If we go back to the fact that there are billions of people on the planet, it doesn't matter how many of them are working in this field. There is many more who aren't and many more who need to be served. So I like to always start from there just to give a perspective of like, yes, there is room. And in fact, we should welcome everyone into this space. 
because it can feel a little daunting, especially if you're trying to go off on your own as a personal trainer, a physical therapist, a yoga teacher, a Pilates teacher, whatever, some kind of wellness health professional. And then you just see all these other people doing it too. The biggest advice I can give is first, just knowledge will help to distinguish yourself, be able to stand out a little bit in this market. And everyone, by the way, can do that. They just have to do it based on knowledge and experience that they acquire in a specific way. And I think if you're just overall trying to just go out there and reach a ton of people and offer them like, I'm a personal trainer and I can make you stronger, that's going to be tough because you're one in a million, right? So what is it that you're doing that is different? I've said this from the very beginning when I started the teacher training and people would say, how is your studio successful or how are you successful? And it's like, because I have knowledge and I share knowledge and your knowledge is like an investment for you that's going to give you compound interest. So the more you learn and maybe specialize, the more you'll be able to become an expert in that line, that field, that topic, then people will look for you for that information. Thousands of people are doing it, but you're still not one in a million people who are doing this overall thing. So you have the overall umbrella of fitness, wellness. What are you doing? We've worked with a business coach who's amazing. And it's like, what are you uniquely qualified to do? And if you're not uniquely qualified yet, figure it out and go get the knowledge. You have to spend money and time if you want to make money and give yourself more time. There's no work around there if you want to make a dent in this market. Otherwise, you might be able to get a couple people here, a couple people here and make ends meet. And there's plenty of people who do that, who either don't have the time or don't want to spend the money on getting extra learning experience, either hiring somebody to teach you and help you and be like a business coach or actually literally going back and getting more education. But for me, I don't pay as much attention to someone if it's not clear that they have an expertise in this, whatever field they have, whatever they're doing. No, I agree with you completely. And I would say start local and start offering some services for free. I think you've got to get yourself out there. And so way back when I was starting, we would do free yoga at the art museum. We would do free, you know, physical therapists. I would do free screens at a yoga studio just as a way to offer or show my knowledge and meet more people. There's races, there's road races all the time. Can you set up a booth and be doing free stretching? So that's what Laura's talking about, spending the money. You're spending money here in that it's your time, but what you're gaining is you're meeting people. And then when people start to recognize, to Lara's point, she knows what she's talking about. It plants the seed. You know, I think, Lara, you just said in a couple of questions ago, you did yoga with your son's kindergarten class. You did it at their school. That was the first seed you dropped. And then you start doing yoga out of your home. And then it's the second seed. And you just start to groundswell. Then you have a studio and then you don't need to follow Lara's path, but 
I do think starting local is good for most people because the internet is so massive. And even we, we've got a platform, we've got a method, we've got all the things. It is hard to make a dent because it is so saturated. The grassroots movement is how we've always been the most successful. And I think that is getting in front of people letting them hear your expertise. And then they're like, they want to know more. You don't have to be a physical therapist, but maybe you need to go get multiple different certifications. So you just start to develop your own voice, start to develop your own perspective. And I do think having your own story and living your story matters. Bottom line is, if you don't lead and live a healthy lifestyle, you're not going to be able to champion others to want to do the same. That doesn't mean you have to be rail thin or a bodybuilder or look a certain way. But I do think you have to show evidence of your belief in what you're doing and that you are walking the walk as well as talking the talk. Nothing is more disconcerting than like walking by a hospital and seeing a bunch of people outside smoking. You're kind of like, what? These are nurses and I get it. I'm not passing judgment. They're super strict. How can we be a role model? Yeah. And I think that's what also can give you that kind of standoutness of you are living your vocation. It's a calling and you're in all ways exemplifying that. I love that you said that because we've seen yoga teachers who become certified and then they teach a lot, but they're not actually practicing that much. And I always point out that should be the last thing ever to be cut from your deck. It is part of your brand. Part of your business is that you're doing the work alongside everybody else. We can't educate others if we're not like have that inquiry towards ourselves as well in our own practice. Amen. All right. But go get it. Don't be scared. It's well needed now. And for anybody listening, whatever you are passionate about, that you have turned into a profession, then stick with it. And then if it's not serving you, then it could just be a really exciting hobby. It's so sometimes people take a big leap thinking it's going to be something that it might not be. And that's okay. It could be your hobby and you do something else as your work. You don't have to have it all synced up. I think that's unrealistic and really hard for people to you know, it's not happening. And then they're just struggling with the whole, you know, just want to give it all up. Yeah. Be willing to pivot. Yes. Always. Light on your toes. <laughs> I love it. Love your questions. You can write us at support at lityoga.com anytime. And you can write without your name, anonymous or whatever. Yep. You can also find us on social media. Laura's Instagram is laura.hyman and I'm kbwilliams99. You can also drop a line in our Redefining Movement podcast, Instagram, DM. We will keep the little folder and get back to you. Again, always you can do anonymous. Let us know about anything, lights, pursuit of happiness, movement. All right, we love you. And as always, we're We're pulling pulling for you. Thank you for joining us on this episode of Redefining Movement. If you like what you've heard, please like and subscribe wherever you get your podcast. Feel free to leave us a rating and review or share with someone you know. Check us out at www.litmethod.com. 